Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 59th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast with Venus O'Hara. In this new moon episode, we'll be discussing sexual healing, and we'll be speaking with Elisa Zipersky, author of Healing Honestly, The Messy and Magnificent Path to Overcoming Self-Blame and Self-Shame. Then I'll be discussing the series Tell Me You Love Me on HBO. Then finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with survivor healing affirmations. But first, let me share with you my experience as a survivor and my healing process. I missed a podcast episode. If you're a regular listener, you will know that I publish on new moon and full moon. And for the last full moon, I just got back from Berlin and I was exhausted. Oh my God. I had very good intentions of producing the episode and publishing it a couple of days late, but my good intentions got forgotten. And I thought I would give myself some self-compassion because I was very tired. I had a lot going on in my personal and professional life. I've just come back from an incredible fair in Berlin called Sex Tech Berlin, where I hosted a conference. I gave a, a speech about the VR of the body and I shared um, information about my erotic stories that are available on the Satisfier Connect app. It's interesting because um, some of these stories I wrote in a way that um, was very organic, orgasmic for me and without even, in, without having intentions of um, certain things or certain um, attributes that they have, I've, I'm ticking many boxes in them. For example, obviously my stories are real, based on real people, real experiences. And to protect the identity of my um, beloved muses, I, I just don't describe the people, the protagonists, I don't describe them physically or age or what they're wearing, um, just to protect their, their identity, basically. However, this um, this detail means that anyone listening to my stories can inv- um, imagine anyone they like, which is actually very powerful. And also, there are there's an acknowledgement of intrusive thoughts, such as you know being doggy style on bed in the bed, and then someone's behind you, and you're thinking, oh, did I close the windows? Can I moan? You know, things like that. And also, body confidence and um, challenging stereotypes about body uh, image and seduction and what we think about um, when we think about seduction. For example, there's a story called Seducing in Sweatpants where, you know, it might not sound sexy because normally when we think about, you know, preparing for sex or a lover coming, we might think of nice lingerie, red lipstick, um, high heels, low-cut tops, short skirts, etc. Whereas I'm talking about, you know, no makeup, messy bun, a, a hoodie, 
and um, just um, you know slippers that were falling apart. So it's very a very different way of of seducing. Yes, yeah, so there's a bit of humour in there as well because I think um, complicity and humour are incredible elements of complicity um, in a couple. So yeah, so that's a bit about what I have been up to professionally, and um, yeah, it's been uh, very intense traveling. And the sex tech fair was incredible. It was um, an opportunity to meet people from my sector because often when I make keep making content, like I'm now at home speaking to the wall and not really thinking about who's listening to this or how it might be impacting them. And I met a couple of people who were very um, inspired by my podcast, someone who has taken the plunge and decided to work in this sector of sex tech and they are encountering all of the challenges that I encountered many years ago when you're thinking, oh, what are people going to think? What are people going to judge me? And all of that. So I did make an episode about my own journey in that respect and they found it inspiring. So it's really wonderful to create, speak to my wall and then know that on the other side, there are people who are really listening. But um, speaking of self-compassion, which is the reason why I have missed out on an episode, is that um, this episode is going to be, um, I'm going to interview Elisa Zipersky, and she is the author of the book Healing Honestly. And this is a book about childhood sex abuse because, of, after all, sex, sexuality, sex is not always orgasmic. Sex is the most powerful emotion, I think, and one of the most powerful things in life. But it's something that can be destructive if not utilized in a good way with a good intention. And I am also, I'm actually a survivor of this. And it's something that has, you know, it has been present uh, very much in my life, especially during my younger years when I was coming to terms with uh, coming of age and just trying to kind of, you know, work things out, um, you know, after being, having um, a very Catholic upbringing and trying to, you know, being, being living in a society where all these female magazines were quite, were quite, sex positive and then I'm coming from a place of silence and then also um, having experienced um, abusive situations that um, really uh, were challenging for me because I did feel I think there was a whole kind of range of emotions that happens or a sequence of emotions at first it's kind of sadness uh, why wasn't I protected and then that becomes anger and then it gets to a point where now I've let go of these things that happen to me and I've just take it as another experience and some experiences are good and some are bad but everything ultimately will teach you something and I did do a lot of therapy and what was really intriguing for me when I was reading this book about healing honestly was the first chapter I think if I remember correctly now because it's been a couple of months since I read the book was about you know how, how you remember um, a traumatic abusive situation and for me it was something that I was with a guy and then, you know, it was all a very consensual situation. And then we were doing something that provoked this flashback in me to a much younger time in a scenario that I wasn't really aware that was sexual and abusive. And it's something that I buried in my subconscious and suddenly it came to the surface and I realized it was something, you know, something that wasn't, didn't happen one time. It was repeated, repeated. And it was a bit of a, oh my God, I froze. And then soon after, I, it kind of uh, was polluting all of my sexual life. And I decided to get therapy. And fortunately, 
in the UK, um, I was at university at the time, I was able to get free counselling, which is just absolutely wonderful to have the opportunity to speak to a professional and offload all of my worries and experiences with someone who was impartial. And so that's what I did. And I would recommend anyone to do the same thing. Um, Definitely therapy was something that helped me. Um, But it got to a point where I found that the the therapist, I got, I mean, I went through three therapists, I think. Uh, It got to a point where the therapist, I stopped going because the therapist was kind of, um, you know, I think it was very Freudian and just matching everything from my present life to my past life. And I just think, you know, trying to to, to join dots that I didn't really want to be joined. (laughs) You know, I just don't think everything is related to one incident in the past. And that's how it felt for me. It didn't didn't feel very empowering in the end. It was very good to offload in the beginning. And then I got to a point where it's time to let go now and just carry on with my life and move on and not be so stuck in the past and identifying with this with this incident, because in life there are going to be many, many challenges and you can't just focus on one from the past. I think we have to move on at a certain point. But it's very important to address these things because otherwise they will come out sooner or later. And sex is something that, you know, with other traumas, let's say, you know, alcohol or drugs, those are things that you, you should and must give up if they are having a negative effect on you. But with sex, it's something that you have to kind of recalibrate your how you see it, how you live it, in order for it not to be destructive, because it's, um, you know, having had negative sexual experiences and not experiencing pleasure can really impact your intimate relationships. And I think love and making love is one of the most beautiful things that you can share with someone. And you don't want to be um, missing out on that because of something in the past. So it's definitely worth trying to address it and heal from it. And in this book, Healing Honestly, um, um, I was going to interview Elisa kind of sooner than, than what we did. And I was going to read the book fast in a fast way, but then I decided actually, no, I needed to postpone our interview so that I could really take this this information in because it was, um, it was a lot to digest. And um, it's very, very, it's a great book for anyone who's interested. And in we will talk more in detail about that right now. Are you looking for a new sex toy? If you are, go to satisfier.com and you can use the code VENUS to get 30% off anything on the satisfier.com website. So check it out, VENUS for 30% off, satisfier.com. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Elisa Zipersky, author of Healing Honestly, The Messy and magnificent path to overcoming self-blame and self-shame. Elisa Zaperski, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here. For those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us what you do? Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here with you. So I am a writer and a speaker and a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And my work all revolves around supporting adult survivors like myself um, in healing and living full and vibrant and colorful and messy lives. And so that first started with launching my website, healinghonestly.com back in 2017, just as a place on the internet to be able to talk about these like highly stigmatized issues, um, but in a way that felt lighter and freer and 
used regular schmegular language to talk about how our trauma was impacting our sex lives and our dating lives and our friendships. Um, and that work evolved into speaking all around the United States, um, as well as um, in June, my baby, my first book, Healing Honestly, mm -hmm. The Messy and Magnificent Path to Overcoming Self-Blame and Self-Shame was published in June of this year. And it is a survivor sur to survivor conversational um, guide and book to help support survivors in um, their own healing. Um, it's sort of like replicating the role of a trusted friend who's like, we can make jokes here. We can be lost together. We can navigate this together. We can be messy and colorful and ourselves together. So was it completely by chance that this kind of became your job? Um, in a sense, when I first started writing, I really felt like profoundly isolated. I was 27 years old. I was dealing with all of these questions around childhood sexual abuse, which you might hear me refer to as CSA for shorthand. And I was looking online for just like people like me just to find myself. And what I kept finding was either resources written by medical professionals that mm -hmm. left me feeling like I was some sort of like lab rat they were studying mm -hmm. and made me feel like I was fated to like all of these terrible outcomes. Or I was reading a lot of memoir, which is a beautiful art form, but for me was really re-traumatizing and it wasn't helpful to read about, you know, the sort of what happened to other people. I was looking for a place that was like, well, what now? Like, like mm -hmm. this happened, but like, now what do we do? Like now we have to live the rest of our lives. And I still want like a big, beautiful, badass life. Like, how do I do that. And so I just started putting things up on the internet and I never expected it to become sort of my full-time job. I don't think I, I didn't want to put that on myself in my own healing. I didn't want to um, feel that kind of pressure, but over time my healing grew and my work grew. And I realized, no, I'm actually ready now to be all in, <laughs> in mm. this space, but it took That's time. It must be tricky because I imagine sometimes it can be, there's a healing component, but I imagine other times it could be a, a reminding you never kind of getting over it, or you could be reminded too much. How does Precisely. that how does it feel? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and I think that for as much as this work brings me healing and, you know, there's a turn of phrase and I have no idea who originated it, even though I've, I've tried to find but the, the, the sort of phrase of like, be who you needed when you were younger. And in embodying that and letting that guide me has been a really healing force in my life. And at the same time, a lot of this work is in direct conflict with my healing, you mm. know, and um, is re-traumatizing and is triggering. And so it just when I think I have it all figured out, I never do. <laughs> and mm. what's really helped me is to have so many friends um, and community members and fellow survivors who've been doing this work far longer than me, whose friendship and leadership and guidance has really helped me see like, that's okay. And it's okay to need to take breaks. And this is how you can, you know, continue to practice and experiment with caring for yourself while doing this work. So seeing that the people I admired were also <laughs> found this work still traumatizing and triggering, um, has been a really helpful way and, and their wisdom has really helped me um, find my own path forward. Great. So I've just finished reading um, Healing Honestly myself. 
And I'm pleasantly surprised that I didn't, I didn't, I didn't find it triggering myself as a survivor. I mean, it's something that um, I think it depends on which stage you're at in your journey of healing. I think for yeah. me, I'm quite an advanced stage. I mean, for my, my personal experience has been at first um, something I'm going to ask you about in a minute about, you know, rem- remembering abuse when you're an adult, which is something that happened to me, but I never knew that it was something that was quite common. And so I kind of remembered this thing that I had counseling for it. And there were, there were moments, there were emotions of um, sadness and um, frustration and anger. Like, why do why wasn't I protected? And, I, and not knowing that I couldn't share that with anyone who should have protected me because it would have been taboo, like Catholic family and all this. So it was very, uh, it was very hard to deal with, like a cross to bear. And then, and then you have to kind of like have this, these physical things. And if you want to have a full sexual life, then you're doing things that kind of maybe were done to you out of context or out of, without consent. But you, I mean, for me, I'm a very sexual person. Obviously I have a, a sex podcast, so I've gotten over that. But I think, I think some of the things that I was enjoying, let's say like BDSM, when I realized mm. there could have been, you know, a link to, you know, wanting to, wanting to dominate because I'd been abused myself trying mm. to get that power back, you know, in a lot of ways. But then I got to a point where I have just let go and it just feels like I don't think survivor is part of my identity. It's something that happened to me, but it's not who I am. So I think there's a whole, for me now, it's just like, um, it's, it's not something I think about too much, but I think the, the Me Too movement helped, but I'll talk about that later. But let's going back to these memories. Um, this is something that really I found, I thought it was just my own experience. So, and I found in your book that it's something that's quite common. So people who are in their adult years, suddenly having a remember a memory remembering something that has been you know you know in the subconscious for a long long time and then it becomes to the forefront of their minds could you explain more about this absolutely this is a topic i am super duper passionate about i actually just um presented in august at the national uh sexual assault conference in in um, san francisco here in the u.s on traumatic memory and childhood sexual abuse survivors and it was so humbling because there are all these advocates in the room who've devoted their whole career and lives to supporting survivors. And they were like, you know, I never knew that this was totally normal and common. And like, that this is actually a really, you know, I thought I was the only one, or I I felt like I couldn't integrate this part of my story into my work. And anyway, so even those of us that have like spent a lot of time in this field, it can often be a misunderstood, um, or under-discussed aspect of healing and, and living with trauma. But the gist of it is, is that our brains on trauma, when we're being traumatized and actively harmed, our brains do a whole bunch of different sophisticated things to help us survive that moment. And none of those things are anything we have control over. So our brains might actively repress memories um, and, and, that are happening that are of harm, but also our brains might never even go through the process of creating the memory to begin with. As in the process of our brain, sort of if you think of it as an old school VCR recording, might never have hit record to begin with to create a memory to even be stored. So what's important is there are lots of ways to not remember 
Mm. And none of them are anything we have control over. And that can be equal parts liberating to realize, Mm. oh, it's not our fault that we don't remember things. And it doesn't mean that the pain we've been through counts any less. Mm. Um, And also it can be frustrating because some people can spend years and years and different healing modalities trying to recover memories that um, to no fault of their own just may have never been created to begin with because our brains in moments of crisis and survival do a whole host of things to survive um, that we don't control and we don't choose. And so that's I, that's sort of as deep as I want to get on the neuroscience part of it um, because I'm not a scientist. I just hang out with some really wonderful ones that help me understand these things. Um, but for me, I grew up Um, not being aware that I had been sexually abused. And I experienced a second trauma in my life, the trauma of a parent dying um, and watching that parent die and caring for them. And in that trauma, it actually triggered my childhood abuse. And that's not an uncommon pattern where we go about our lives a certain way and then shit hits the fan and It might be seemingly unrelated. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe you just left home and you went to college and you're actually really excited about college and you get to college and you're out of that danger zone and now you're flooded with these realizations or you're going through a different transition in your life. Maybe you're going through menopause, maybe, you know, like going through some other aspect of life and then starting to what I would call like recover or start to understand that some fucked up shit went down (laughs) when we were kids. And it doesn't come back as this, um, in this nice, neat, little, cute, pretty way, you know, with healthy memories, we remember the beginning and we remember the middle and we remember the end. And maybe we don't remember all the details, but we could like tell a happy memory in sort of like a story, you know, with that beginning, middle and end. But with traumatic memory, it's not, it's what I call non-narrative. It's, it's feelings, it's senses. So it might be a smell. It might be a sound. It might be the way something feels. It might be um, a flash of something we see in an, in a, in a dream or a nightmare. And, and mm-hmm. so when they come back to us, it can be really, really confusing. And often it leads people to be like, what, why now? (laughs) What what the hell? Like I was fine for so long. Why am I suddenly freaking out? And that can be like deeply isolating. But the fact of the matter is, is it's like a completely normal pattern for our brains on trauma, especially when we experience something as traumatic as this at such a young age. And so I work with survivors who are coming to that, oh shit moment in their 20s, like I did. I work with survivors who are coming to the oh shit moment in their 70s. Wow. Um, there's no, you don't get to decide when the oh shit starts, just like you don't get to decide how you do and don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and what comes back to people is all totally different. And what's most important and the thing that I like most want to express is that like, this is nothing to feel shame or self-blame over because This is actually a completely normal, scientifically understood aspect of our brains on trauma. And even though the world makes us feel like, okay, we're not going to be believed because unless we can like answer all these questions or we have all this proof, that's the world's fucking problem. And that's the world we live in that is full of rape culture that says 
you know, every survivor, like there's some real survivor out there and you don't get to count, you know, it's, it's the lie that, um, that our stories are, are, are never worthy of, um, the care and seriousness that they are, but that's their problem. Like for you, (laughs) for each of us, our pain is real and it matters no matter the way memory works for us. Mm. Another thing that's intriguing about memory, you talked about the brain, how it protects us. What about the body and how that stores trauma? Because I've heard of people going to different types of massage or something with the body and then then something is released and then they start crying and they have this big reaction. And uh, you, you mentioned the book, um, The Body Keeps the Score. I've had that on my list for a long time, but I might reconsider now after what you said about it. I, I think it's interesting that whole concept about um, the emotional cause of some aches and pains in our bodies. Yeah, yeah. I think The Body Keeps the Score, uh, written by uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, is a really important contribution to like this conversation of understanding that our bodies store trauma. And that often our bodies are like signaling to us that shit isn't okay. And our our bodies are doing that more clearly before we catch on with our minds. And that's like a very important thing. And um, But I am critical of him. I think the book was really not written for survivors specifically to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written definitely for other clinicians. And so I find there's a lot of like re-traumatizing stuff in there. But the gist of it is that our bodies know and that you know, at some point in time, if we start tuning into our bodies, whether it's our patterns with chronic pain, whether it's showing up in our sex lives, whether it's showing up, um, in the way we experience touch that, um, our bodies are often giving us signals that things aren't okay or things that weren't okay happened to us before our minds are, are really clear on that. And so I know a lot of survivors who do a lot of talk therapy and stuff like that. And also a lot who go and do somatic therapy and therapy that's more focused in the body and body experiences. Um, And I think that that's beautiful and amazing too. And so, you know, I think at its core is our body stores a lot of wisdom. Mm. Our brains, our brains have had to live in this world that constantly tells us that survivors pain and truth don't get to count. And so our brains have been impacted by that bullshit Mm. since the dawn of time. It's in every movie. It's in the movies we watch. It's in the TV shows we watch. It's in what we see in the news. Like, it's not our fault. Like, and it's the way possibly people in our lives have treated us. But our bodies, our bodies are telling the truth. And so I think it's really important to listen when our bodies are talking and pay attention to the wisdom that's stored within them. You just mentioned talk therapy there and it reminded me of when I did therapy. And um, the reason why I stopped was because I think at first talk therapy can be very um, cathartic. You get, you know, all these, get this big weight off your shoulder. You express things to someone who's impartial and listening to you without judgment. But after a while, I, I thought for me, this person was maybe too Freudian and, and linking everything in my present life at mm. the time back to childhood sexual abuse or trauma or boundaries being just abuse in general. And I just got to a point where I thought, was this, is this helpful? How much should we, mm. how much therapy should we do? Was there a point where you you have to stop looking at the past and just um, let go of it? I mean, um, that's something that I, I ask mm. myself sometimes. 
I think I think what's so dope is that like there are so many different kinds of therapeutic modalities mm. out there. Like mm. I would not do well in like in a psychoanalyst chair. Yeah. <laughs> and I have found myself in those positions. And then as soon as I realized what was going on, I was like, I'm out of here. Um, you know, I uh, and so the therapy that I do is really focused on the present day mm. and the here and the now. Um, mm. and that has been a really good and useful tool in my life, but it's, you know, it's different for everybody. And Mm. that's the beautiful thing about healing too, is that all of our journeys are different. (laughs) Everything Mm. we need is different for each other. And the shit changes all the time. Mm. You know, the shit that I needed 10 years ago was like radically different than what I need now, which is probably different than what I'll need in the future. And so, you know, it's kind of funny about writing this book is like, even though I might've used the word guide before, I'm like, it's only because I don't know another word, but it's, it's not prescriptive. And I Mm -hmm. think anybody who tries to um, tell you that there is a specific path towards healing or a prescriptive path is like full of absolute shit. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's different for all of us and it's different all the time. And I think it's really important to listen to that like inner expert that lives inside of each of us that tells us like, maybe this shit isn't for me. So like you're sitting in that therapist's office and you're like hearing what they're saying and you're like, you know, it sounds like to me, Venus, like there was an inner expert that went off inside of you that was like, my body, is- my body was saying, no, yeah. this, <laughs> was is like, this, right. is, this is not what is in alignment with my safety and my healing right now. You know, mm. and, and like, to me, I'm not interested at, like, I'm less interested in like the specifics of like what somebody's body tells them is what they need for their safety and healing. And I'm more interested in, in them just listening to it, no matter what it says, mm. you know, yeah. no matter what it is, like listening to that, taking that, those signals seriously and being like, oh no, like that actually matters that I feel physically like unwell in this space. My stomach's coming into knots. I'm sweating mm. or I'm like uncomfortable, you know, like listening to those signals and being like, that's actually valuable information. Mm. Even if your rational mind is like, no, 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 no. Like you need this. Like, mm. you know, it, it's important to listen to what our bodies tell us we actually need for our safety and healing. And that can be a tricky thing for us to practice. Yeah. Especially because you, you give so much, um, maybe faith to people in the medical profession, whatever they, whatever the role they have. And I think we should maybe have a bit more autonomy with knowing what's best for us. Absolutely. Mm. And I spent a lot of time working with medical professionals mm. and speaking to them and saying, you all need to be working on honoring the wisdom and expertise that survivors have within themselves when they walk into the room, Mm -hmm. that actually a lot of times we know what we need, Mm -hmm. but nobody's asking us. You know, I I did this one training for medical professionals about trauma-informed care, and I was the one like um, non-medical professional on the panel, Mm -hmm. supposed to bring in like sort of this survivor voice. Um, and they're all like sharing all of these practices. If we do this to make the patients more comfortable, we do that to make the patients more, you know, and so on and so forth. And then Tarzana just sort of raised my hand and I said, you know, have any of you ever thought of like on the intake forms that everybody has to fill out, asking them, is there anything we can do to make you feel more comfortable while you're here? Hmm. Like, have you ever just like asked? (laughs) Because if I was asked, I might say things like, oh, I need you 
before you touch me, to tell me you're going to touch me, to tell me the pressure I'm going to experience, to allow me to direct you when I'm ready. Or I need to like actually have headphones on and be listening to something that is distracting me because this actually might be like a triggering exam and I just need to like feel safer by doing, you know, like, like the things that I could actually come up with if asked. Mm, I think um, a lot of gynecologists could could benefit from that because (laughs) I think a lot of times when I've been to a gynecologist, um, even though I'm a sex toy reviewer, I have, you know, (laughs) that, that type of exploration. But um, when you're in that situation, you're, you're just tight and you're really tense and um, they just don't take that into consideration. They're just like, boom, up with the speculum and opening. It's like, hi, Absolutely. wait. And it's just, a, it's a massive trauma for me because I had this serious problem when I was, um, I had kidney infections when I was a child. So oh, I've had no. a lot of interventions yeah. and ca- catheters. Um, I had all this stuff happening to me very young. So being on a on a medical table, opening my, opening my legs on stirrups, is like very, very traumatic. Yes. But no one cares like, uh, oh, this is nothing. This is like, doesn't hurt. And it's like saying, you don't know, maybe it's not for you, but I mean, <laughs> for me, if I'm exactly. doing this once a year, then it's, it is kind of traumatic, you know? So, and then people don't go to the doctor. But just for the- Absolutely. Which is the worst yeah. possible option, right? Is that then we don't even feel safe um, accessing the care that we need. You know, I, and I, I found that, I have found that, you know, all throughout my different experiences within the healthcare system, I'm working with some, I'm pregnant right now. I'm, oh, I'm wow. almost seven months pregnant my first pregnancy ever. And it's been really illuminating. And I found these like really dope, amazing nurse midwives who are like the trauma informed, like clinicians of my fucking dreams. And Mm. I'm like, this is what it could have felt like this whole time. But you know, I just have, I know I got so lucky with them, Mm. but it, it really illuminates for me. Like how, yeah. I mean, it's like, everybody is different. So it's like, it's not like a clinician can like apply some like consistent practice across the board and be like, okay, now we're trauma informed now, like survivors who are going to find this triggering are no longer going to find this triggering, but like they could just fucking ask us Mm. because what you need and what I need are going to necessarily be different, but you could Mm. ask us. And, and even just asking says to a, a person, like your needs matter and your needs count. And, um, and you're, you're an equal participant in this mm. process too, you know? So, um, yeah, I think a lot about that. I think a lot about that, um, and feel very passionately about that. And so, yeah, I think, you know, learning to listen to that inner expert and then practicing advocating on behalf of that inner expert is uh, so much of the work. Definitely. Um, going back to your book, uh, you mentioned the Me Too movement. I found it to be very tr- um, um, empowering, actually, even though it's a very sad thing that these things are so common. But um, when it's, it just seemed to be very therapeutic, um, knowing that there were so many stories out there that I wasn't any different. It was just, and how was that for you? Um, it was interesting. I, it was a real turning point in my work a lot because. I, in the, in the years leading up had been writing online about, you know, this is what it's like for me, not really to remember my abuse, to like mm. come to it in in a later time in my life and try to be processing it. And when I wrote all of that, um, initially it didn't get a lot of engagement and I felt a little like, Oh, maybe I'm like the only one here who feels this mm. way. And then two years after the fact, when this like contemporary iteration of the Me Too movement like came to pass, 
my web traffic from articles from years past blew up and went insane. And I could see from the search engine optimization and all of that on Google, all these people, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people around the world start Googling, like, is it possible to just now be remembering my abuse? Is it, you know, like, like, is this, do I like, is my memory now like coming back? What is this? Can I trust this? And my work really blew up. And that's when I sort of became like, like, I felt like I had been confessing to my readership at the time, like, oh my God, maybe you guys don't think I'm a real survivor because I don't remember things the way you do. And then when at the height of the Me Too movement, it was like the one most important thing I could have put out in the world for people. And my inbox began to be flooded with people looking for support who are um who were really re-traumatized by everything they were seeing every day in the news. And so I I don't think I found that time personally um like particularly re-traumatizing for me, but I did find it really overwhelming um to be in community with so many people who were really struggling in a lot of ways, like openly for the first time in their lives. Um, and I was really my, it was really, um, it was like visceral. It was felt like it was in the air. Wow. So going to sex, and this is a big, big part of intimacy and our lives. And yeah. also that's the kind of source of abuse. It's very hard. I mean, for other, you know, areas of, let's say struggle in life, let's say alcohol or drugs, people kind of like shut those things completely out of their lives. But sex is something that if, you know, we, we experience in intimacy and love and in relationships. So do you have any tips or anything that you could share that you, you could, for people who are survivors to enjoy their bodies and their bodily autonomy and pleasure? Absolutely. So I really have to credit here, my friend, Ignacio Rivera, who is the founder of the heal project here in the U S and Ignacio is a sex educator, is a child sex abuse um, survivor and advocate and really advocates for what they call holistic sexuality healing, you know, so, and that's a holistic sexuality education, you know, from, from birth to, to death and, and then, and then some. So um, Ignacio really was the first person to say to me, you know, in this, in this professional field, in the sexual violence field, a lot of conventional conversations around sexual abuse, they say, you know, it's not about sex, it's about power and control. Mm -hmm. And Ignacio was the first person to say to me, you know, it's also about sex. Mm -hmm. And that was really liberatory and eye-opening for me. Ignacio said, you know, we have to talk about the fact that it was the nature of how we were harmed, but also for a lot of us, it was the first way we learned about sex. Mm -hmm. And we have to talk about that sexual healing aspect of our lives not just the power and control and domination aspects of of the of a of an abuse of power. And so as you saw in the book, Ignacio is sort of the sexpert of my life and became the sexpert of this book. And I was so lucky to have them like lend their expertise to sort of talk through a lot of these big questions. And you know, at its core, you know, I, I wrote I wrote the chapter being like, okay, so there's this myth that we like have too much sex and that's a problem. And it means like mm -hmm. we're fucked up and traumatized. And also we're not having enough sex and that's a problem. And it means we're fucked up and traumatized. 
And it's like, there is, you know, like there is so much pressure on survivors to feel like the sex we're having is some some sort of like symptom of our harm Mm -hmm. and that it's not also a part of our healing. And it can be both things at the same time. And so one of the things I really wanted to introduce to people was this idea that like to take a little bit of the pressure and self-blame that we experience so much as survivors that we've been conditioned to feel and step back and say, what is it that I actually want? Mm. And is it okay to just allow for that to be something that I want? And also to say that it's, it, yes, sex is a part of the way that I have been harmed. And also it's a part of the way that I'm healing. And that that is beautiful and powerful because in my own life, I've had periods of time where I abstain, I intentionally abstained from sex and I found it like beautiful and liberatory and freeing and like spacious and powerful. And I have had times where I was like sleeping around and having one night stands and like having a great fucking time. And it felt liberatory and empowering and amazing and full of agency. And then I've had a lot of experiences that were in the middle of those two things. And then a lot that were bad. And Mm -hmm. it's like all of those things, you know, I think we're so conditioned to be like, oh, she has daddy issues. He has daddy issues. Like, they're so fucked up and they're so, you know, like there's so much stigmatizing of people who have been harmed, who then are exploring their sexual, their relationship to their sexual selves. And there's so much bullshit judgment. And it's like, you know, I take real issue with like the daddy issues thing. It was something I was called during a period, like as a slut shaming thing, but a period of time in my life when I was sleeping around a lot. And it's like, what a fast way to blame people for a harm that they didn't commit Mm. and blame them for the ways they have figured out how to survive, how to heal and how to live their own lives. Like it's so cruel, but it's so indicative of the judgment that we experience. (laughs) And so my advice to people is, yes, some of the things that we may like, prefer or experience in sex or, or, or not, you know, or want to avoid insects might be rooted in the trauma we've experienced, but also perhaps that that is not always a bad thing. And that that can also be a part of our healing too. Mm. And we don't have to like everything, right? Yeah, like, and, and that's okay. And, and so I, my attitude is always like, how can we turn the judgment down? Um, on the volume down, on this self-blame and this self-shame that tells us the ways that we have figured out how to survive and the ways that we have figured out how to heal and explore our relationships to our bodies and repair our relationships to our sexual selves. How can we experience those things with more self-compassion and less judgment? Mm. I think it's also hard for someone if they have a partner who's gone through that. I mean, my advice for them would be to practice I just saw sex education. Are you watching sex education on Netflix? I it- haven't, but I, all my friends love it. Like <laughs> I'm like the outlier. I'm the outlier. Yeah. But they, they talk about this thing called enthusiastic consent. I think that's yes. a really great thing, you know, just to incorporate that in, in your practice and just be like with, it, with every single stage of, of intimacy and uh, just to make sure you get that enthusiastic. Yes. And then um, so it gives you a lot of agency and um, over your experience then. And, uh, and being yeah. okay with it being a no or not yet or something like that. So 
I think uh, that could be I love that. very, very cool. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think it's so pertinent to the work that you do as well. Like, I think that sex toys mm-hmm. and play is such a important opportunity for us to explore ourselves and our relationships to our sexual selves in a way that is like really safe and also under our own like jurisdiction and our own autonomy. Mm-hmm. You know, the rule of thumb I like to offer to people is if it feels healing to you, then it's healing. Mm-hmm. You know, I I was working with a survivor who was engaging in some role play and some of that role play replicated some of the harm that she had experienced in childhood. And she was really worried that it meant something bad. And when we got to the core of it, it it was really clear. It actually felt like something important she needed to do for herself. And maybe not something she wants to do for the rest of her life. God knows like the sex that I'm having right now, or the lack thereof, because I'm pregnant and sick all the time. I really, really don't want my sex life to be reflective for the rest of my life of the reflective of the last year of my life. Um, but you know, so it, it, her, her desires may change and shift as our desires change and shift, but she was exploring something that felt really important to her, but Mm. she was afraid of the shame, not what it was feeling like inside for her, but rather this like shame that we have all been conditioned in. And I think it was important for her to hear, like, if it feels healing to you, then it's a part of your healing. Yeah, something that's that's okay. I really loved about your book is the part where it talks about um, religious communities and how you know the shame is 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 belongs to your perpetrator and the communities who kept you silent. And that's a really really important line. And I would, if I were you, I'd make that into a kind of Instagram post because I think that's something that people need to hear a bit more often. That, that's that's a real underlying um, phrase of, of the book. And that's something I will I take with me because I, I was brought up very Catholic and all that thing. It doesn't happen in our community. I mean, I've heard from Catholic communities. Oh, it happens everywhere else. We're no different. And that's just like just the same in reverse, you know, <laughs> but it's just, uh, it's rife. And then people are very, that's just what, before I talk about the very quick questions, I think um, there's a there's a whole situation going on now in uh, with Russell Brand. I don't know if you know. Mm, yes, of and course. It's really interesting. Yeah. I'm not going to talk about the, the ins and outs of what I believe, but um people are very quick to I don't, I don't know the details but very quick to um dismiss the claims of these women and say why didn't they come forward or why and I think some of them did it back in the day or what what have you but it's just um yeah. it's not something that happens then you go and report it I mean most abuse is not reported because it's in you know it's in it happens within families and the implications of reporting those things are huge you know not just for yourself enormous the whole all these family dynamics and uh yeah, so that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised people don't. Also, I think one reason, um, one big reason is you don't want to be reliving that trauma. Because I, I once I did, um, I, I had a court case just to work the situation. And then I had a situation where a gynecologist, I nearly died because of a gynecologist, basically. It was a very, Jesus. very yeah, serious. I, I, had, I left a tampon in something for two months, uh, for one month. And I went to the gynecologist and I didn't see it. And, and it was like, how can you not see it when I'm up in syrups and stuff? That's and then, insane. and I would have, I was going to have my period. This, and it's a very long story, but I, I could have basically taken legal action against mm-hmm. this gynecologist. But I thought, do I really want to have these dossiers with um, stuff about my vagina in them and relive this thing for months on end? Or no, actually, I'm just going to let it go. So it doesn't get reported, you know? So I think Absolutely. a lot of abuse is kind of like that. You don't want to be kind of reliving this thing for months on end. And also, when I did a, when I did a court case, which is a completely different thing, you know, with work, 
that I had mm-hmm. to go and see those people in the court, you know, at the waiting room outside. It's just totally. so, so, so traumatic. It's it's a whole different form of trauma on top of the trauma that we mm-hmm. initially experience. And it's why I feel so passionately when given the opportunity to talk with other survivors about this, to say like, whatever choices you make around what I'll broadly call like accountability, you know, mm-hmm. I don't even want to say justice because I feel like none of that is actually justice for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but like next steps of like reporting or things like that, whatever choices you make, you have to make them in alignment with what you know you need for your safety and your healing, because these systems are totally fucked and totally designed to re-traumatize us. And yet we're sort of shamed again, theme, mm. theme of the day, shame for shit that isn't our fault. Um, we're, we're shamed if we don't speak up because then, you know, terrible people say that we're somehow like complicit in the harm because we didn't speak up. And yet if we speak up, then we haven't done it quote unquote correctly. We didn't do it in the right time frame. We didn't have the right evidence. We didn't, you know, we didn't seem believable enough. You know, there's this myth of a perfect survivor, but it is a myth, you know, like none of us live up to it and it's designed to, to keep us silent. And, um, and so, you know, what I always say to survivors is like, do whatever you need to do for your safety and your well being, whether it's speaking or not speaking to, you know, about your abuse to family members, to systems of accountability, to whatever it is, like you got to take care of you mm-hmm. <laughs> and decide what you need to do for yourself because no one else can make those decisions for you. Mm-hmm. Only if, you know that. If people have even more guilt thinking if I don't report, then they're going to carry exactly. on doing it and you're responsible for it. Somehow. As though you're responsible for your abuser, you know? Yeah, and- yeah. And it's not people's fault that they feel that way. Like people actually see that shit to survivors. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the other thing is like, we didn't invent this pressure. We didn't invent feeling this way. Like people told us that bullshit. And then it's like, wait, how is it my fault that my abuser is abusing? You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's so ass backwards, Mm -hmm. but the responsibility lies with the abuser and people of equal power to that abuser. That's who is responsible. A couple of quick questions for you. Um, what's the book that changed your life? Um, I would say the book that changed my life was um, in a memoir, the most beautiful memoir. It was Janet Mock's Redefining Realness. I read it when I was extremely lost mm-hmm. um, the year before I created Healing Honestly, and it really inspired me to create Healing Honestly. So Janet Mock is a, she is a writer. She is a TV producer. She helped create the show Pose, if you're familiar with that. She's a Black trans woman who has played a lot of different sort of roles in in media writ large and is a, a real creative force. And she wrote a memoir about her experiences growing up in as a Hawaiian Black trans girl in Hawaii and in Texas and her path to sort of embracing who she is and in, in, in all of her senses of her identity. And I listened to the book at a time in my life when I couldn't have been more lost. And um, it really showed me that like with great specificity comes like infinite um, understanding and compassion. Like she told her story without having to necessarily explain herself. She just told it in her own details and in her own way. And 
And I felt so connected to that. And I was like, wow, this is the power of like people telling their own stories and their own words. And it, it also, you know, it, it just showed me that, you know, these stigmatizing topics that are so silenced that actually through like beautiful personal storytelling, like we can really create human connection around them. And I like, I'm so grateful that that memoir came into my life when it did it, it, it like a hundred percent inspired me to start my website and start healing. Honestly, what was the phrase or affirmation that you live by? Um, be who you needed when you were younger. Oh, that's amazing. Sure. I thought that when you said it earlier. Yeah, for sure. It's a great one. That's a great thing to make another thing on Instagram. We did it yeah. already, but I think that's a really great, a great quote. Um, so where can people find you? Yeah, people can find me at healinghonestly.com. Um, they can also find me on Instagram at Alisa Healing Honestly. So it's at A-L-I-S-A Healing Honestly, H-E-A. L-I-N-G-H-O-N-E-S-T-L-Y. So at Elisa Healing Honestly. And then you can purchase a copy of Healing Honestly wherever books are sold, whether through independent bookstores or through Amazon or anything in between. Perfect. So thank you so much for joining us today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for this lovely conversation. In this episode, I'm not going to review a book as I normally do in every episode. That's because I'm still reading the same book as in my last episode. But I'm nearly finished, so by the next time I'm here, there will be a new book review. I wanted to talk about a series that I've been watching instead, and it's called Tell Me You Love Me on HBO. And this series has had a profound effect upon me. And I discovered it because I was talking to a colleague about the fact that I had just hosted a webinar about sex and aging. And this colleague told me, well, I've just seen Tell Me You Love on HBO, which addresses um, aging sex, or there is a therapist in it who is quite of an advanced age, and she is sexually active, probably more active than some of the other characters. And this series has a lot of sex in it. So if you like watching sex scenes, it's that's what it is. But these just sex scenes have definitely justified you know they're not just um salacious they're very justified within the storyline and it's about three um couples who go to see this older therapist and they all have their own different sexual problems for example there's a younger woman who is about to get married and then she discovers that her fiance would potentially struggle with monogamy so that kind of raises a lot of doubts in her mind about how she sees their future and how she cannot commit to someone who's not you know, only seeing her in his erotic horizons. And then she goes on this journey of, you know, kind of having sex with different people and, um, you know, to express the pain, I suppose. And then there's another couple who are trying for a baby. So we see this side of sexuality that becomes very automatic. For example, And then the failing, you know, when you're trying every month and then you're getting these, you know, you're getting your period and it becomes a very tedious um, activity. And I mean, I cannot imagine what that must be like. Uh, I've never been in a position where I've wanted to have children because for me, if if that were to happen, I would want it to be a a miraculous accident. (laughs) It's not something I would 
uh, provoke, but it would be something that I would be open to if it surprised me. I just think, imagine, you know, turning sex into some kind of, you know, what day is am I, am I ovulating? It just seems like it could take the beauty out of intimacy and becomes very automatic. And you can see the tension that that is creating in the couple and the fact that, you know, the woman's seeing, oh, ovulating now, now come upstairs and he's, you know, eating a sandwich and he has to kind of like leave the sandwich and go and shag her and just be kind of on demand whenever she wants. And then sex ceases to become some kind of joyful, intimate act. It's something very automatic. And then you have that recurring disappointment of it not being successful. So I can imagine that could be, you know, very, very, very um, hard for a couple to to experience. I know people who are friends of mine who are also trying for children and it really, you know, it takes its toll on their on their emotional life and their sexual life. It's just, yeah, very dull. And this couple are going to see the therapist to address. And it's also bringing up a lot of their issues around other areas of their relationship. It's provoking a lot of tension. And then there was another couple who have been together for about, I don't know, something like 12 years and they have children of, you know, maybe eight and 10 and they've not had sex for a year. So there's all of that tension of the absence of sex and how important it is. And for me, this series is not about sex. It's about the emotional implications that sex has on a relationship, the experiencing of sex and also the absence of it. And that's what I find incredibly interesting because sexuality is so important uh, in our lives, in our intimate lives, and yet we are too ashamed to address it. So if you're interested in the concept of sexuality and especially the emotions behind it, I would highly recommend this series. I don't want to go into it too much. um, I don't want to give you any spoilers, but it's fascinating to see how these stories unravel. There are 10 episodes and it's very realistic. And the sex scenes kind of surprised me because there's some full frontals and um, yeah, and and sometimes, you know, sexual disasters as well. You know, it's not all orgasmic. There are some um, encounters that are quite raw and um, that do go wrong. Um, Yeah, so emotions and sexuality, fascinating. So I highly recommend um, Tell Me Love Me on HBO. And if you have any series to recommend to me, please let me know because, you know, we get to that point where you are you have these streaming platforms and then you've seen everything you want to see and then there's just nothing to watch even though there's there seems to be an abundance of offer but for me i am not interested in watching things that have any type of violence or thrillers i want to see sexuality i want to see love i want to see romance and i want to see emotion so if you if you know of anything that that ticks those boxes please let me know because i need to i need something else to entertain me during these cold winter nights. So that's what I recommend for you. Tell me you love me on HBO. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, Take a deep breath and enjoy. I am a survivor and I am thriving. I have the courage to face my past and the hope to create my future. I have overcome challenges before and I will overcome. 
Are you looking for a new sex toy? If you are, go to satisfier.com and you can use the code VENUS to get 30% off anything on the satisfier.com website. So check it out, VENUS for 30% off, satisfier.com. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe 
so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.